0: Exodus 24, verses 7 and 8. Then he took the blood of the covenant and read it. Well, not the blood. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words.
1: Welcome to Walking Through the Book. I'm Stephen McCrary. I'm Brian Bales. And I'm Jeremy Hodges. And today we'd like to talk with you about the Bible. Specifically, we want to discuss Exodus chapters 23 and 24. Walking Through the Book is all about these three things. We want to encourage Bible reading, demonstrate proper and responsible study of the Bible, and we want to emphasize what the text says. No more and no less. Before we start, we do want to let you know how to get in touch with us. You can find us on Facebook very easily if you search at Walking Through the Book. You can also email us, Walking Through the Book at ProtonMail.com. And uh, so grateful for you to be here with us today. And uh, thankful for Bryant and Jeremy being with us as well. Um, mm-hmm. Bryant, uh, how are you doing today, man?
2: Doing wonderful. Yep. Doing very good. And Jeremy?
1: I'm, I'm doing great. It's good morning here. All right. And, uh, Jeremy, why don't you let everybody know kind of get how to get in touch with you and what your work is? Well, I'm in just
2: north of DC on the Maryland side, which right now is a really interesting time. Um, I know we have some. Oversight by our local officials about being careful on those kind of things. I don't know when this will be published, but uh, when it's being recorded, uh, I guess is before the apocalypse uh, with the virus, and so we're we're trying to figure out a new way to do things uh, where we are. Uh, you can reach me a couple different ways. Uh, you can either use my, I guess you can use my Twitter handle Jeremy A Hodges. There's underscores between my first name, my middle initial, and my last name. And you can find our church's Twitter page at WildercroftCOC.
1: And uh, Brian, why don't you let everybody know your contact info. And um, as is uh, our typical custom, you can let everybody know what we're uh, going to be doing today.
0: Yeah, so I'm uh, working as the evangelist with the congregation in Savannah, Georgia, uh, on, the, on the coast of Georgia here on the eastern side of the state. And um, we have a website, strivingforthefaith.org dot and a Facebook page. You can look us up and find time and directions uh, when you are going there. Savannah, at the time of this recording, again as Jeremy was saying, is um, being affected by the virus, but not not really all that much. So, no no cases of the coronavirus in Savannah yet. So things are still pretty well up and running over here. So if you are in the area, um, we'd love to see you on Sunday. Um, which, yeah, that would be probably way after the fact of the, the virus. But suffice it to say, if you're if you're in the area, uh, we'd love to hear from you and see you. Um, and with the program here, uh, the way we do it is just like what Stephen said with trying to encourage um, just responsible Bible reading. Um, we're going to be reading Exodus 23 and 24. And what we're going to be trying to do is is just try to learn and let the text learn from the text and really let the text lead us into the points that we make in the study so after reading we're going to make some initial observations and that's really just looking at things in the text that uh, from the immediate reading that we found interesting or maybe had not noticed before or uh, things that we just see are important to talk about with the the place and in the narrative Uh, then after that we'll look at themes things that may relate to the overall uh, account in Exodus and Genesis from what we've read before, uh, things that relate also maybe to the greater narrative of the history uh, surrounding God's work in the Old Testament uh, or the prophets, um, or even things we see in relation to Christ and the church in the New Testament. Uh, and then after that, we always try to finish the podcast with some brief applications that uh, we see can be made um, from, from the text. And uh, this, this section particularly um, Is it's just very rich in applications. So I'm sure we'll be having a good discussion on that as well. Lego. Exodus 23. You shall not bear a false report. Do not join your hand with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not follow the masses in doing evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after a multitude in order to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his dispute. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying helpless under its load, you shall refrain from leaving it to him. You shall surely release it with him. You shall not pervert the justice due to your needy brother in his dispute. Keep far from a false charge, and do not kill the innocent or the righteous, for I will not acquit the guilty. You shall not take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear sighted and subverts the cause of the just. You shall not oppress a stranger. Since you yourselves know the feelings of a stranger for you also were strangers in the land of Egypt you shall not sow your land for 6 years and gather hmm. Read that again You shall sow your land for 6 years and gather in its yield but on the 7th year you shall let it rest and lie fallow so that the needy of your people may eat and whatever they leave the beast of the field may eat you are to do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove 6 days you are to do your work But on the seventh day you shall cease from labor, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your female slave, as well as your stranger, may refresh themselves. Now concerning everything which I have said to you, be on your guard, and do not mention the name of other gods, nor let them be heard from your mouth. Three times a year you shall celebrate a feast to me. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For seven days you are to eat unleavened bread, as I commanded you, at the appointed time of the month Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt. And none shall appear before me empty-handed. Also you shall observe the feast of the harvest of the first fruits of your labors from what you sow in the field. Also the feast of the ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in the fruit of your labors from the field. Three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven bread, nor is the fat of my feast to remain overnight until morning. You shall bring the choice first fruits of your soil into the house of the Lord your God.
2: You are not to boil a young goat in the milk of its mother. Behold, I am going to send an angel before you to guard you along the way and bring you into the place which I have prepared. Be on your guard before him and obey his voice. Do not be rebellious toward him, for he will not pardon your transgression, since my name is in him. But if you truly obey his voice and do all that I say, Then I will be an enemy to your enemies, and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you, and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will completely destroy them. You shall not worship their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their deeds, but you shall utterly overthrow them, and break their sacred pillars in pieces. But you shall serve Yahweh your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will remove sickness from your midst. There shall be no one in miscarrying or barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror ahead of you, and throw into confusion all the people among whom you come, and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. I will send hornets ahead of you, and they will drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites before you. I will not drive them out before you in a single year, that so the land may not become desolate, and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. I will drive them out before you little by little until you have become fruitful and take possession of land. I will fix your boundary from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the river Euphrates, for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you will drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them or with their gods. They shall not live in your land because they will make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely become a snare to
1: you. And he said unto Moses, Come up unto the Lord, thou and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come nigh, neither shall the people go up with him. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice, and said, All the words which the Lord hath said we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning, and builded an altar under the hill, and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel, which offered burnt offerings, and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood, and put it in basins, and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant, and read it in the audience of the people. And they said, "'All that the Lord hath said will we do, and be obedient.' And Moses took the blood, and sprinkled it on the people, and said, "'Behold the blood of the covenant, which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words.' Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness.' And upon the nobles of the children of Israel, he laid not his hand. Also, they saw God and did eat and drink. And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount, and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. And Moses rose up, and his minister Joshua, and Moses went up into the mount of God, and he said unto the elders, Tarry ye here with, it. and he said unto the elders, Tarry ye here for us until we come again unto you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man have any matters to do, let him come unto them. And Moses went up into the mount, and a cloud covered the mount. And the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel." And Moses went into the midst of the cloud and got him up into the mount and Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights Ooh.
2: didn't read that chapter when we were kids. I don't know. Seriously. I I don't know. It's so cool. It is the coolest stinking chapter. There is so much cool stuff. going. It's like we jumped straight from the giving of the law to the, to the golden calf. And we missed this. They ate a Memorial covenant meal in front of God. And it specifically says, Oh, and he
1: didn't kill them. Yeah. That's amazing. Amazing yeah is this like the closest be- is this the closest that Israel ever is to God? Yes I mean yeah
2: and it and it's funny that you have the the idea of the they are below that sapphire ceiling, that clear um, yeah. plane, but of course that shows up in so many other places. you have visions that are above that, the idea of the sea of glass and revelation. Mm-hmm. You've got the Sapphire plane that exists anytime you've got the throne room. So you've got the exact same kind of a throne room, uh, thing that the visions are above. But here, of course, the amazing thing is that they're, they're right below it. I, I don't, I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to talk about that stuff. That's so, so amazing. I love this chapter.
0: Yeah, I was actually, uh, Kind of funny you mentioned that because as we were reading it, I was thinking how amazing it is to read this for yourself, like for the first time, you oh, know. because I, I feel like I was remembering, you know, like when I was starting to read the Bible on my own more seriously and how like when I would read, I would read things where it's like, whoa, <laughs> like yeah, I didn't course. even know that was in there, you know, and, and it's just like you get to see the image for the first time and
2: it just likes like, you, you the first time I read this. I, was, mm-hmm. I had fallen away and come back to the Lord. I was in my mm-hmm. late 20s. First time I read this chapter. Mm-hmm. And I was all like, dude, why don't we read this?
0: Yeah, seriously. And what, what what an amazing scene to like teach to kids, you know, like the blood of the covenant, you know, and just the, the blood sprang on all the people from the basins. And, you know, then they're, they're eating with God. And like, I'm, I'm imagining almost like, The clouds of the mountain, kind of like, are like curtains moving away, you know. And then they see, they look intently up, and they see God with this clear pavement underneath Him, and how frightening that would have been. But then they they keep eating, you know, and they finish their meal. As God is right there.
2: How do you eat? I know. (laughs) You got like, you got. Saw God, and they ate and drank. i would i mean i bet they were shaken it'd be hard to keep the the salsa on them chips my goodness (laughs) and when i read this thing about him them sending hornets ahead of him that's i mean that's just mean man we're already gonna conquer them but we're but there's gonna be bees first that's that's rough stuff anyway yeah it
0: seems like it kind of makes them very vulnerable
2: uh, I, I imagine Steven. it would being attacked uh, no. by bees is a very vulnerable uh, very it's, in, it's a way to make somebody vulnerable
1: I'm thinking about you know the watch guard outside of a little village or town just looking at the horizon covering up with bees going like, straight at him and just kind of staring at him oh no <laughs> you know one, one of the things that just keeps striking me here is just all the consideration that God is expecting his mm-hmm. people to have yeah, for each other. Yeah. Um, but even in, in a sense of impartiality, verse 3, you shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. Um, that's that's something to be said there, Some, something interesting to think about. I mean, is God like anti-poor? Of course not. In fact, there are so many passages where God talks about bringing up the poor and equalizing the rich and the poor. Uh, so, you know, in, in in this context, I think you know, really to start in the first nine verses in chapter twenty-three, you have a lot of justice being talked about um, yeah. and fairness and
2: judgment too. Now, I mean, right. it's, it's absolutely justice, but also this <laughs> idea of no bribery. Yeah, uh, and that's right. associated with this idea: of you don't you don't pick the rich you don't pick the poor, you don't pick, you pick fair and you don't right. need to pick the person who can pay you. You pick what's right, right no matter what the situation is. Yeah. I, I talked to my wife uh, yesterday about how
0: like when somebody is writing like a book or something on a concept, they maybe feel like other people haven't noticed before. It can oftentimes be written with a clear tone of pretension. Um, That can make it a little difficult to read because it can be kind of like I'm enlightened and I'm trying to help all of you, you know, peons who haven't been enlightened like I have. It's interesting, you know, God is delivering them in a sense something new, but you read this and you get no sense of pretension at all. Like there's no like God talking down to them in arrogance. You know, it's like everything is so even stated impartially. And I feel like it just makes it so easy to read. And it's like, it, it just removes a distracting barrier of an attitude that can make somebody unapproachable when they're trying to share something vital that is is enlightening and is essential um, in knowledge. Uh, so I don't know, it, it's almost like the law itself and the way that God speaks appeals impartially to a humble heart as well, as much as the ordinances themselves make that appeal.
1: I I, I would agree. I mean, it's, it's not something that is uh, just handed down from someone who's a, here you peons, you know, there, there is a mutual respect and there's a mutual understanding that, you know, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to do the best for you. Um, You know, and that, again, that, that kind of goes into, I mean, what's the hymn that, uh, for such a worm as I, mm. why would he lift mm-hmm. that sacred head? For such a worm as I, that's the whole uh, Sacred yeah, Selections yeah. Uh, phrasing of that <laughs> song, which I don't really like. I don't. I'm that's not the, a worm. It's
2: the original though.
1: It's well, the, sure. It was yeah, written
2: by a Dirty Calvinist. So that's what you get.
1: Oh, well, well, there you go. But uh, but you know that's the, that's the, the thing. that's the song, by the way. Right. Right. Ah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but but God doesn't treat us like worms. God treats us as special people that He cares about individually, yet all at the same time, which boggles the mind. Yeah. Uh, but you know, uh, just a lot of interesting things to think about. What, what were some things that you guys saw in the reading?
2: Well, in so the beginning, like
1: oh, go on, go go, go, Brian. I was I was
0: thinking about kind of on the same same thread of thought, um, you know. Stephen, you mentioned the openness of consideration. You know, I think it's amazing that God has just judged Egypt. You know, he's sovereign over the world in Genesis. He created everything. But now in Exodus 23, he's talking about watching out for overburdening the land, overburdening uh, animals, overburdening slaves. You know, so you just get this picture of God is so high. He's so exalted. But I mean, you look at how far his consideration goes and his compassion goes and, you know, you just think like what would be the, Im- the impact on someone if they actually considered all of these things, you know, they're going to stop sowing their land on the seventh year because they're concerned about it, um, you know, being overworked. They're concerned about the needy getting things to eat in that year. You know, the seventh day, they're going to rest, not just for their own sake, but they want to make sure that their animals are not being overburdened, their slaves are not being overburdened. You know, verse four, if your enemy's ox is wandering away, you know, you're going to deny yourself and, you know, bring that, pr- bring it back to its owner, even though it's your enemy. So I just, again, I'm, I'm just, I'm very amazed by the, the depth of consideration that this
2: would be cultivating in the people who would actually consider it. Which is so ironic when you see later on how the people had been using the law to be unloving toward one another. And then you see the way that Jesus corrects them. Jesus brings it right back to the core of this. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, they had gotten so wrapped up in legalities and the lawyering of the law. And they had forgotten what the core of it was, which which is righteousness and justice. I mean, so there's justice and the judgment thing. Okay, so when you get to the New Testament, I mean, I know I'm kind of getting ahead in our thoughts. But if you get to the New Testament and it says... You know, you shall love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. No, you can't hate your enemy because right now yeah, it's, we have it from? literally written right here. You do right. if, if your enemy's like if his property's in danger, you go help the property. If the guy, okay, I know that we're not, you know, we don't a guy who's uh, uh his donkey is, is under the weight, but we, I guess, the closest thing we could say if your enemy's on the side of the road and his tire's blown out, go help that man change his tire. Right, 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 right. I don't care if you don't like that guy. I don't care if he's been a jerk to you. Help that man.
1: And God doesn't really, I don't know, maybe I can't say this conclusively, but I'm just not sure that God has a priority for you being at the assembly. You know, I, th- I think God's okay with me being late to the assembly. If I help someone along the way, well, of course, that's just my personal conviction. Some people don't share that conviction, but, uh, well, that's you know, that,
2: that, okay, okay, but it, that's that's one of those that's one of those you know sacrifice versus mercy kind of situations, right? Uh,
1: sure. Or or loving kindness. Uh, uh, this is more basic, like do the right thing.
2: Well, no, this isn't. No, no, this is an expression of that because loving kindness yeah. means covenant loyalty. You right. you deserve that person. I don't care how they are with you; they deserve loyalty. So if he's hurting, you stop and help that dude. If you see right. it, you can't sit there. I mean, you know, I know that we're a culture that's obsessed with shadenthoid, which is you know somebody I don't like screws up and I get to sit on my haunches and laugh. That's not the way that God mm-hmm. ever wanted this to be,
0: right? Yeah, absolutely. you and I don't
2: get to get, be happy because someone we don't like gets hurt. That's just not the way this is. Right.
1: Yeah. Yep. I tell yeah. you that's that is that is a problem in the South. I'll just say that. Yeah. One <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes. And I think no, that's something I that would happen, bless his heart. No. Oh goodness.
0: I think that's something that, you know, by obedience is learned yeah. is that the core principles here create other connected mentalities as a result. You know, kind of like when Jesus would say, you know, if someone presses you one mile, go with him too. You mm-hmm. know, that core principle will naturally lead you to have a different way of thinking about all sorts of other things in your life you know the willingness to turn the other cheek when already slapped once you know that will in turn cultivate connected mentalities that stem from that it's almost like he's giving a root that will branch out to other right. qualities of mind so it's like if if you're not going to let your enemy's ox wander away without returning it that should naturally cultivate a deep affectionate intimate concern and love for others as a result as well you know it's like if you'll treat your enemy with that kindness, how much more your brother.
2: Another thing that's interesting in this is is right in the middle of that. He also talks about this, uh, not oppressing the strangers because they, he goes, since you yourselves know the feelings of a stranger. Yeah. Right. Mm. So when Jesus says, treat others as you would like them to treat, he's not making it up on the spot. Right. Yeah. This has always been a part of God's will. And Mm -hmm. I I know that I'm still uh, kind of, um, fighting a phantom enemy on this. But when we try to make an artificial separation between the New Testament and the Old Testament, and I don't mean that there's not different dispensations of God's rule, but I'm talking about the core ideas, the core mentality, mm-hmm. the core mm-hmm. spiritual application. Here, the New Testament idea of love your neighbor as yourself starts way back here. I mean, we know Amen. that Jesus says yeah. it but right here. He says, you're going to look at someone who is a stranger, and you are going to remember yourself in his position. Right. That requires that you see other persons, even d- even people who are different from you, as being the same as you. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I really think the Sermon on the
0: Mount, but I think maybe especially Matthew chapter five, Absolutely. the first section of the Sermon on
2: the Mount is
0: yes. is really
2: hidden within all of this and woven through it. Another thing that's interesting, when it comes to the gospel going out to those who are on the outside, uh, you know, one of the biggest issues we read about uh, the, the, that a lot of the Jewish uh, um, hearers of the gospel had was the idea that the gospel would go to the Gentiles. But if they really cared about, strangers and outsiders people who we were different from them the way the law yeah. demanded they did, then they shouldn't have had a problem with it.
1: Right. Yeah. Amen. The feasts that are to be kept and well, I'm sorry, let me, let me take a step back. The, Sabbath. the, the Sabbaths, the, the seventh year where you leave your crops basically up to the four. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, that's pretty incredible. It's not, it's not really, he says you shall let it rest and lie fallow. So basically it's not like you're putting crops in and you know for harvest. You're just leaving it. And what will happen sometimes is the plants will come back and there will be more to come and grow just by itself. Well, of course, so, yeah,
2: you're just not gathering
1: right. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's that you know, again to reinforce the fact that God is not anti poor, he takes no. care of You know, everyone's going to be going to have a place at the table, more or less. Now, this is
2: also going to have some application into the accusation that uh, that is made against the disciples because they are gathering. They're not gathering, but they're picking the heads off in their hand. Okay, Uh, right. they are not violating the Sabbath. And how do we know that? Because it's not a violation of Sabbath to eat plants off of the to eat the fruit off the plant gathering it would have been a failure, but to eat it off the plant is not a failure. That is, it was a fundamental misunderstanding of the law and the Sabbath rules that, well, I mean, it's an attitude problem at the core, but it is demonstrated in a misunderstanding of the Sabbath laws. And so when Jesus disciples are accused of breaking the Sabbath by eating, it's, it's, it not only shows they have wrong heart. Secondarily, they didn't understand the law.
0: I I think that's so Kind of like what you said earlier, Jeremy, Is this is kind of like getting a little ahead in my comment here, but, you know, I think that's Romans uh, chapter three. Absolutely. Where he's talking about faith in the heart. You know, he's saying, okay, are we contradicting the law by emphasizing faith being the seed of what God is seeking? No, we establish the law. Absolutely. The is, what, he, what he's saying is that, you know, Jesus demonstrated that faith is actually the key to both understanding the law properly, but also keeping it properly. The Pharisees were a people you know, absent of faith, um, you know, maybe you should just say the Jewish people who are keeping the law as the law itself by works, you know, they, without faith, even in putting up a pretense that they Mm -hmm. were striving, the law were actually failing and contradicting the law actively
2: because they weren't Uh, trying to establish the righteousness of God, but trying to establish the righteousness of their own. Right. Amen. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it gets back to,
0: you know, what we talked about, how, you know, God's character, his deliverance, you know, understanding who God is on the basis of, you know, his, his power in saving people, um, you know, as he demonstrated it in Exodus and, uh, you know, in Exodus 20, where he says, you know, I'm the Lord, your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you know, that sets a context yes. for everything else in the law.
2: Well, another thing that's in this is that he specifically says the, the, the purpose of the Sabbath is to provide rest and refreshment for those people who are working. And so we, we talked about the fact that, you know, that he is allowing the poor to be able to eat something, but he's also taking care of the worker. Yeah. And so the person who is working has a chance to rest. And so the Sabbath, as opposed to being weaponized, like we see it used by the Pharisees uh, was actually for the blessing of the human beings. Yes. And I think like one of the things with that is the Sabbath would would
0: give the people who were oppressed and lowly, it would give them the freedom to live among the nation. And I think that naturally leads into the festival days. You know, the festival days, it's it's easy to overlook that God was actually the poorest person among them all. And so if they would learn to rest and focus on God and in verse 15, to not appear to God empty-handed that would actually be the ultimate seed that would lead them to look after the poor and the needy, because God is the person who can be most easily overlooked. God is the one who can be most easily afflicted and oppressed by the people. You know, so if they would be trained to deny themselves to keep these festivals, what seems on the surface to just be a day of celebration and joy and rest for the people is actually supposed to be something to put their mind on God in a way where they would see God being their neighbor, they would give God the freedom to live among them. And that would lead them then, I think, to have the attitude that the other verses talk about with remembering the strangers and the lowly
2: and the animals in the land. You, you talked about being overlooked, and I think that's super important because uh, we think of the Sabbath as being something that is easily overlooked or not that important. But if you look in, like, later on, we're going to read about the promises of judgment that's going to happen. Uh, mm-hmm. in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28 through 32, uh, what it says there, it says when you're in captivity, the land will enjoy its Sabbaths finally, because you, right. aren- you aren't, you are not allowing the land to rest. And it says right, the same right, thing. Right. It says the exact same thing in second Chronicles when they, uh, went into captivity. So the land enjoyed its Sabbaths, right? If you're not going to let the land rest, well, then I will take you out of it and then the land yep. will really rest. Right. Yep. How about the angel? Ooh, I'm glad we got there.
1: (laughs) Uh, You know, all these things that are going to be happening, there's an angel. I will send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I've prepared. All these things this angel is going to be doing. It's always fascinating, of course, when we see angels being mentioned in Scripture. Mm -hmm. And... uh, You know, I think some people go into a whole different world with their approximations of what that means. (laughs) But uh, if we just focus on the text, I mean, angels are really fascinating parts of the Bible. Um, But, you know, I love love you guys thoughts about, you know, just initial thoughts in terms of what what we see this angel doing. Well, first of all, uh, we have a record of the appearance of someone
2: who may or may not be this person. Uh, in Joshua chapter five starting in verse thirteen mm-hmm. the captain of the host of the Lord uh, meets Joshua so it may right, be so awesome it is it is and not only that he says to take off your shoes for this is holy ground uh, yeah, like, which what? is another reference to uh awesome but anyway uh, what's neat about that is it isn't clear if he's talking about this this heavenly captain person or if he's talking about his chosen servant or messenger to go ahead because the word angel, both in Hebrew and in Greek can either mean a human being who is a messenger or it can be a non-human being. And mm. you have to rely on context to tell the difference.
3: Mm-hmm. This
2: may be talking about Joshua mm. or it might be talking about that, that non-human mm. captain who is at sometimes visible and sometimes not. Now, the reason I think that it's possibly Joshua because it specifically talks about this idea of obeying his voice. We don't have any record of that captain of the angelic hosts of the Lord ever speaking to anyone but Joshua. Mm. So this idea of obeying him, I don't, I don't see a whole lot of, I don't see a whole lot of communication. So Mm. I take this to say that this could either be that, uh, that heavenly, non-human, spiritual being who is sometimes visible, or it could be Joshua. And, and in either case, I think it's, it's significant. The reason I think it's funny that Joshua is mentioned in this is because he shows up again in 24 as being Moses' right-hand man. Yeah, no, that is really
0: interesting.
1: So, so you're saying, if I'm getting you right, you're saying that the angel here is not a literal angel, but it's simply a messenger. And you're talking about that being, being actually Joshua. I'm saying it could go either way. Okay. Okay. Kind of dual fulfillment
2: concerning. Possibly. But I, what I'm, I, my big thing is I think because it talks about this, this communication and them being responsible to him to do what he says I think Joshua is a better fulfillment of these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, although there is textual support for it being a non-human being. Like we read in Joshua chapter five. Right. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is I wouldn't be contentious
1: either way. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> we have no such contention. That's right. Um, uh, You know, it, it really is awesome how God is uh, providing for his people though. Like, I mean, in in terms of food, in terms of shelter, in terms of defense, um, you know, all these things are going to work out really well uh, in the time to come. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the sad thing is it doesn't work out really well. Well, I mean, in the immediate
2: I mean, I mean yeah, up until
1: the end of the, sure. of the conquest, I would say. Could they, yeah,
2: between now and then, even. Yeah, exactly. Now, there's some good things that do happen. I mean, yeah, so you've got some failure because they don't go in the land. So the first thing is he makes all these promises, and they don't go in the land at all. So the second part is that they it takes them 40 years of, to die off an entire generation before they ever do go in. It's the second mm-hmm. generation that takes possession of the land, like it's spoken about here. But even when they do take care of the land, then Joshua lives. And as soon as he's dead, another generation uh, rises up that doesn't know who God is, functionally. Right. They don't know the things he does. And they violate these rules right here because he says, don't make any covenant with them yeah. or with their gods. They shall not live in your land." in verse 33, because they will make you sin against me. For if you serve yeah. their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Well, that's exactly the same kind of phrasing that's used in the beginning of Judges. Yep. So God absolutely provides everything. And yeah, the people I mean, don't take it up.
0: Right. I mean, it seems like you see the people working against God at every turn, you know, and and I think it just makes it even more amazing. Like God is actually himself fulfilling every term of his covenant. He's both initiating the fullest sense of his own terms of the covenant as much as he can. But then by his own providence and intervention, he even he brings the people to a point by his own intervention where they can also fulfill some meager portion of their end of the covenants so that he can have reason to bless them. You know, think about even like David. Like, where did David come from? David was a complete work of God's power and providence. You know, without God's working and intervening constantly, there would be no David. You know, so God bringing up David among the people, you know, and replacing Saul with David, the way he worked with Saul to exalt David and to make the people want someone like David, all of that is just God. Working himself to bring the people into a condition where he can bless them, you know, so it to me It just exalts
2: all around the glory of God revealing his character through all of these things And you know in in, in with that He's blessing them in ways that they cannot fathom
1: Yeah, what I, what
2: I mean there is he tells them to stay away from all of these other gods and all the way from all the way their Practices and don't get involved in all the things that they do And then he says and I will remove the sickness from your midst. I will bless your bread and your water No miscarrying or anyone uh, uh, barren in your land. Now, there are gross activities that these Canaanites are engaging in that they, the Israelites, cannot fathom the unhealthy things they are doing, the naturally self destructive things that are involved in the ritual cult prostitution, uh, the idolatry that they're getting involved in, the blood play that's a part of so many of the things that the uh, Canaanites are doing. Now, yeah, God could give them, He could give them, uh you know a a six day symposium on virology and try to explain what bacteria is but instead he says just don't get involved in the things that they do yeah and i will take care of you being healthy now from our standpoint yeah we can see the wisdom of not getting involved in these all these gross um you know sickening worship practices that we're covering ourselves with animal blood and we're doing all these nasty, disgusting things. But God just tells them, don't do it and I'll bless you.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think
2: that sometimes that we want to whittle on God's end of the stick to, uh, mm-hmm. to borrow mm-hmm. from the Apostle Paul Earnhardt's vocabulary on that one. Uh, we think that we need to run the why. And God just mm-hmm. takes it away. He says, don't worry about the why. I'll, I'll do that. You just yeah. do what I say. Right. Yeah, and I think that
0: gives context too that like ultimately their obedience was being motivated by promise which is the obedience of faith and so the law was not ever designed to be a law of works or self power it was always (laughs) meant to be a law based in the promises of things that god would do blessings that god would bring ways that god would also bless others through my own obedience to him ways that my sin robs others of being blessed by god's grace i mean like all of the principles of new covenant obedience to God are right here in Exodus
2: 23. Amen. Amen. I love the initial things because yeah. the initial things are beautiful because mm-hmm. that means they ask the people like every it seems like every five minutes, "Are you sure you want to do this?" And right. People answer every five minutes, <laughs> yeah. "Yes, we promise we're going to do this." Yeah. Mm. And then, of course, the rest of the Old Testament demonstrates. <laughs> the narrator, they were not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, just the idea. We talked about this real briefly um, uh, earlier, the idea that here they are, they are not only agreeing to the law, but they are, they are sitting down in the presence of God almighty. Yeah. He, I mean, he is over uh, my wife and I, one time we, uh, back when I was doing graphic design, one of our clients was uh, Northern California's largest uh, hunting and fishing store. And we went to the owner's house one time uh, and they were, they were trophy hunters and they lived in this giant California mansion. And um, I just remember sitting down and trying to eat something at a party. One time they had at their house and there was literally an elephant head above the fireplace (laughs) as we're sitting down, trying to like eat Wow, so and it beautiful! Was, it was the most. Dis- you know that scene in Ace Ventura when he says, "Well, this is a lovely room of death." Imagine <laughs> that, but like times a thousand in an entire house. But anyway, but it was super distracting to try to eat food mm. with an mm. el- with a stuffed elephant head right there, just big as life. It's mm. it's distracting. How in the world do you sit down and eat a meal? with God above your shoulders.
0: Yeah, man.
1: I mean, I'm uncomfortable trying to eat anything like during a Bible study. <laughs> That's <laughs> <laughs> just like uh I ordered this. So, I mean, we're I'll just wait until we're done.
2: Yeah. But here he is. They're eating now. So the the purpose of the meal is not cuz they're hungry. The purpose of right. the meal uh is because it's a covenant of salt. Uh it's a it's a, it's yeah. a memorial meal eaten which agrees them to the covenant that is it is a it's like signing on something you eat this meal to demonstrate you're agreeing to be under the covenant
1: yeah well i mean that's an interesting thing to think of too because like i mean wasn't that a custom in the ancient world like if you and maybe I'm thinking of like medieval times, but no, like no, you're absolutely you right. You go under a person's roof. Mm-hmm. You're going to be, you know, you, you need to partake of whatever they put mm-hmm. in front of you. Otherwise, you're insulting them. Yeah, absolutely right. In this case, okay. uh, it would be the same kind of thing. So they're agreeing to this
2: rule. They're agreeing to this law, and part mm-hmm. of them signing the papers is them eating a meal together.
0: Boy, oh boy! There are so many connections. Just like
1: under his feet, oh, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. It was like the very heavens in its clarity.
2: Yeah, well, we've t- we talked about you know really there,
1: interesting. There's other places
2: in, in the New Te- uh, the Old Testament, where you have this sort of flat, clear, blue thing. Uh, I think in Revelations referred to as being a sea of glass, and so uh, and I, and. I, I, Another part of this that is fascinating to me so we have this representation of that sea of glass uh, that seems to sit b- below the feet of the Lord. Um, the Hebrew writer says that it is going up to the mountain that Moses received the pattern for the tabernacle. Uh, there has been a great deal of conjecture that it's possible that the labor of water, is supposed to be a representation of that same flat, clear plain. Uh, Mm. In fact, when Solomon created it in bronze and he put it on the backs of the 12 calves, uh, I believe that it's called the sea at that point. Yeah.
0: I mean, it was huge.
2: It was a a big water.
0: Yeah, it's hard to imagine how monstrously gargantuan that thing was.
2: So it is fascinating that this clear plane of blue ish see-through thing is present in so many descriptions of the throne room. Yeah. But seems to also be present in the tabernacle structure.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, I mean this should this should have left a permanent <laughs> impression on Everybody, you know, the blood being thrown on everybody. I mean, millions of people, there's just blood being flung everywhere. You know, the mountains right there burning with fire and smoke right above them as it's all happening. You know, then the leaders, they literally see an appearance of God. I mean, this like this should have changed them forever, you know.
2: By the way, there are a couple of places, um, oftentimes in the ancient world, when you ate this meal together, it was sometimes referred to as being a covenant of salt. Mm-hmm. And so there are a couple places where the phrase covenant of salt actually does show up uh, in the Old Testament. So Leviticus 2.13, Numbers 18.19, and Second Chronicles 13.5, all referred to God's covenants as being a covenant of salt. Uh, even in the case of David, uh, there was a covenant of salt being referred to there. Although we don't read about a memorial meal being taken care of, being partaken of in particular in the type of uh, covenant that was made to David. Um, although in, in important circumstances, they would often eat a meal together. Uh, Samuel was in the um, custom of eating a meal together when important things were happening. Uh, Saul mm-hmm. ate a meal with uh, Samuel before his being um Anointed, and David's family, of course, eats a meal when David's anointed, too.
0: Yeah, so them actually sitting with God and having this deal, I think is a part of an incredibly important principle uh, threaded throughout scripture and especially in the new Testament, you know, something that was common in Jesus teachings. teaching. So Luke, Luke 14, Jesus is eating in the house of a Pharisee. And it seems like the Pharisee had Jesus in for a, a self-serving um, purpose. You know, it's just nice having Jesus, the famous teacher in his home and, you know, kind of self-exalting, like, wow, how amazing that, you know, the great teacher of Israel is coming into my home and having a meal. And Jesus is teaching progressively to that chapter. Really, he humiliates everybody at that meal, which would have been extremely- <laughs> um, But one, one thing in Luke 14, 15, you know, somebody to try to break the tension, tries to say something nice. he says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus tells a very humbling parable where he talks about the people making excuses when they don't come to the dinner invitation set by a king. Um, And I think something that is easy to misunderstand because we're not hospitable like God is. And it takes (laughs) so much humility and training, time and change to learn about what God's intention is with this hospitality. God's hospitality is not meant to be an event uh, God's hospitality is meant to convey something permanent. God invites people to eat with him, not because he wants to just have a meal and send you on your way, but because he wants you in his home forever. That's why God invites you to eat with him. So I think when you see the elders here eating with God, this gives even further context to what God is trying to do. God is inviting the people into his very presence. The purpose of all of this is God is seeking to redeem people eternally. God is trying to bring people exactly where he is. The reason why the law is given is not just to be an earthly ordinance or an earthly regulation or an earthly kingdom. God is trying to bring, by testimony, eternal realities into view. And this, I think, is one of the clearest representations that God is trying to bring people into the permanence of his presence through these things that are being delivered.
2: And how many times do we have eating a meal being done in his presence under certain yeah. circumstances, yes, when the, right. the not just the establishment of the covenant, but the maintaining of the covenant through the priests, right? How yeah, many times yeah. did they weren't allowed to eat anything just anywhere they wanted to go. They had to eat it in particular times, in particular places. If you were part of the priesthood, eating part of the eating part of the meal, uh, that would be the result of certain sacrifices. You wouldn't leave the, you wouldn't leave the tabernacle complex because you were in the presence of God. Yeah. Yeah, right. So this idea of passing by the laver or passing by the sea sort of would give the, this idea that they were becoming closer to God's presence. And of course, God's presence as the thing that was over the cherubim, which yeah. was on top of the Ark of the covenant, the mercy seat. So yes. all of the tabernacle structure and later on the temple structure was to give human beings a physical manifestation of, that represented a spiritual reality that there was this approaching God. And the closer you got to him and his presence in this case, the more glorious it was as in going from bronze to silver, to gold and the construction materials, but also the holiness that he demanded of those who were coming near him.
0: Yes. Right.
2: So this eating the meal in, uh, this eating the meal in the presence of God that starts here continues through the entirety of scripture.
0: Yep. Yep. And I think it really gives, gives light to Psalm 19 verse seven, where it says the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise, the simple, you know, and I, I like that word testimony. Um, you know, like Jesus and the gospel of John would constantly talk about testifying to the father, you know, that God is trying to give evidence, like you were saying, Jeremy, of of eternal truth, of uh, the eternal soul, the eternal relationship that God is striving to bring to people, you know, and what kind of person gets that? Um, You know, a couple of Psalms before that, you know, Psalm 16, you know, David talks about the Lord being his portion, and his inheritance. Um, He talks about how God gives him life forevermore. Uh, in your presence is fullness of joy. Psalm 17, verse 15. I think one of the clearest verses in the beginning of the Psalms that shows that the psalmist had a very clear understanding of eternal life. He says, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. You know, so the simple, the humble, the people who really meditated on the testimony of what surrounded them, they were they were being given this clear opportunity to comprehend that there is an eternal redemption that God is seeking. And it's amazing how the law would separate, like Jesus and the Pharisees, it would separate the people who would stumble over the stumbling stone by looking at the law with an impure heart, compared to those who would look at the law with purity and would recognize the purpose and the testimony and really the nature of
1: God. All things are ready, come to the feast. Amen. Mm -hmm.
2: God yep. talks about that in Isaiah too, this idea that he was yep. going to invite people yep. to a feast.
1: Yep. 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 Hmm. One thing I wanted to mention in terms of theme, um, I can't help but think that, uh, you know, later on when Josiah is going around, I mean, you know, literally, uh, not just breaking up the altars and the images, but burning them to a crisp and, you know, making, you know, uh, burning up the bones of the priests of these false gods i mean i can't help but think that this was one of the passages he may have been looking at or at least convicted by mm-hmm. uh, Absolutely, verse, yeah. verse 24 of chapter 23 yeah yep you sounded like you had more than that jeremy sorry
2: No, I'm agreeing with you. I mean, there's it's here, and then you've got the uh, the 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 blessings and cursing section in Leviticus 26. That is the application Mm -hmm. of all these things. Now, yeah, he knew how to take care of some altars because it was written in the law, right? Yeah, he absolutely knew it. He goes, no, 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 we gotta we gotta break that stuff. We gotta burn that stuff. Let's get it out of here. This Mm -hmm. is not okay. Uh, Josiah was very convicted by the things we read about in the law, and just like we were talking about in themes a minute ago, you start to see all of the failures of the people happened so quickly this idea of letting the people live in the land when you're reading the beginning of judges and i mean if you've just been reading the law and you get to judges and you and it says that they you know they let them live there you go oh no that's no no don't let no that's not good at all Mm -hmm. you perpetually see the people failing the things that were written about very clearly in the law
3: Mm -hmm. yeah so
2: an, an ignorance of the law makes it so we have kind of an ignorance of the rest of scripture.
1: Well, and and even in this context, I mean, an ignorance of, you know, an ignorance of just the basic keeping the feast and how we keep the feast. I mean, that seems to be tied completely in to, uh, you know, the compassion you show your neighbor. I mean, if I don't care about the Sabbaths, if I don't care about the feast, then, uh, I'm just going to keep consuming whatever I produce. I'm not going to give anything to anyone else. um, You know, I'm not going to care about justice. That's one of the big criticisms that God has for his people in the end. like You haven't been just toward the the fatherless and toward the widow. Um, So, you know, all these things. And then beyond that, there's not going to be any protection in the end. Um, You're going to be taken out of, you know, of your land ultimately. But even before then, all the issues that you see come up over and over. Why? Because they had sinned against the Lord.
0: Yeah, hmm. and Stephen, something you said earlier with Josiah, you know, I think is is important to note how he read these things or had it read before him and recognized the relevance of what was being said, and he took action. I think like there's a common philosophy in the world um, that I think can sound good, but is really empty. Sometimes the New Testament letters, um, you know, starting from like Romans and forward. Um, I've just kind of seen sometimes people push for the fact that those things were so culturally based. It's almost like they're treated almost as irrelevant or almost like reading them is more of an intellectual exercise. Um, and that's not how Josiah read these things. He recognized that these things were commanded for Israel and the promises were true and relevant. For him and his generation, even though he was far separated from these events, right? He was talking about him, you know. Right. So, you know, when we read the epistles—Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians—you know that those churches may have problems or things going on that are obviously written in those letters. But if we are the church all the same today, and if we're serving the same Christ as Josiah was in the same land with the same temple uh, system and priesthood system that you know was was spoken of before him then he understood that all of these things were presently relevant. And I think that's the same way we need to view God's word in the New
2: Testament as well. Like,
0: you know, there's, there's a pressing present relevance.
2: I would, even, I would go further and say that we need to find the things that are written in the Old Testament applicable, right, provided that we are making the appropriate connection, provided yes. we are seeing what the connections are. But you, yeah. you know, this idea that you're talking about, the fact that they were still, re, uh, re, even in Amos, he says, hear this, you who trample the needy. To do away the humble of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over, so that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath that we may open the wheat market? To make the bushel smaller and the shekel bigger, and cheat with dishonest scales, so as to buy the helpless for money, and the needy for a pair of sandals, and we may sell the refuge, refuse of the wheat. I mean... This idea of ignoring what the purpose of the feasts were and the Sabbaths were and the connection to them taking advantage of the poor and needy. Uh, I know that Stephen was saying this a minute ago. and we're on several points past that, but still, I think it's super relevant. Now, for us today, I think that we need to understand that we are still serve the same God.
3: Mm-hmm. We
2: cannot take our religious adherence and our religious observance to a point to where we would ignore the needs of people. Right. Yep. If we are so obsessed with making sure that we've got a bigger building or making sure that we've got a big fancy preacher ex- who's expensive or making sure that we spend all our money on our Facebook advertising. When we've got needy members of our congregation. Yeah. When we've got people who are actively hurting and we're not helping them then we are ignoring the things that are written not only in Amos, but going all the way back to Exodus. Yeah, amen.
3: Yep.
1: that I wanted to note just you know and this is kind of going along with what you're saying there Jeremy uh, that um, you know verse 9 you shall not oppress a stranger for you know the heart of a stranger because you were strangers in the land of Egypt Um, I I don't know if you guys see this but I, I, I feel like I see this a good bit I see Christians that are very often antagonistic toward sinners antagonistic toward people of the world And uh, Mm -hmm. just basically saying, well, you know, there there's no way they'd be interested in that or they're such an awful person or, Mm -hmm. you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then at the same time, they will be extremely accommodating toward Christians who are falling away. Oh, well, you know, we just didn't reach out to them like we should have or we should have done that. You know, and that may be true. But, you know, I mean, a, a, a father saying in his later years, well, I just didn't. I just didn't pay enough attention to my son. I didn't spend enough time with him. And I know he's falling away now. I know he's, you know, completely lost in things like that. But I mean, you know, I'm just going to do the best I can right now. And the best I can right now is, you know, having regular fellowship with him and, you know, no, no issues there. I mean, but they wouldn't be caught dead with
2: somebody who yeah. regularly drinks. Right. No, right. I get
1: you. That's that's Thank that's part can. of that's part of the issue is like, OK, where's our compassion for the sinner and where is our uh, where's our holiness with the fallen Christian? And that's that's just it's difficult to, to see that. Happens.
0: And I think that's the thing you see in verse three of chapter 23 is what's evil is evil and what's sinful is sinful, no matter who's practicing it. Mm-hmm. You know, like somebody who's afflicted and poor practicing evil doesn't win the compassion of getting their way just
2: because they're poor their
0: that's right you know and the, and the rich don't win compassion by by their riches and so i think there's there's a, a measure here of you know evil is evil no matter who it is no matter how close you are to them you know i mean in leviticus he'll go on to say that even if it's you know your 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 family or a close relative to you he'll let say, your hand
2: be the first against them
0: exactly you know and, and so there there's there's just familiar with familiarity with god I think leads to such a firmness of conviction. You know, Jesus in Matthew chapter five, he, Jesus says a bunch of things that are easy to overlook that show that he absolutely hated wickedness and unrighteousness. Yep. You know, when he's talking about God giving good things, he just kind of throws in, you know, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more God? And so, I mean, you just kind of think about what did he just say right there? He is acknowledging that he understands that the people he's talking to are evil people and that he is trying to convert people out of the condition of the reality of their wickedness, you know? So Jesus didn't have a blinded or misconstrued view of no, people's condition. No, and no, he knew, he was what, we, no, he knew what was going on. Right. right. So his kindness was a true sacrifice. His patience was a true sacrifice of mercy. And that's what exalts mercy is, is your your mercy is based in the sacrifice of choosing to show kindness, not because of merit, but because of God's grace. Hmm.
3: Well,
1: there's a number of things to think of in terms of the angel. One thing I wanted to ask, and we didn't really cover it in the theme section, but um, you know, if this is some sort of supernatural being going before the Israelites and fighting, helping to fight their battles, et cetera, et cetera, then, uh, I mean, Is there any tie with this and uh, Revelation 2 and 3 where, you know, to the angel of the church at Ephesus, right, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I think that, I think that there is certainly, and and when I
2: was talking about the possibility of Joshua earlier, I didn't, I did not mean to, to uh, sideline the idea that this being God's uh, uh, a representative of God's presence in a spiritual format that allowed them to have success. Certainly. I think we see that not only in Daniel In Daniel, we read that there are certain people or Mm -hmm. certain beings who are put over the success and failure of nations at war. Uh, Do I understand the entirety of that? I do not. And I don't pretend to, but I think there is absolutely a connection between the things that are here. The things that uh, show up over in uh, Daniel and then also in revelation. So, yeah, I think there's a, there's a, a train idea there. There's a, um, God does not leave the army to just do their own things. He actively works with them and over them to take care of things. This whole God helps those who help themselves mm-hmm. is nonsense. And it's, it's against what the Bible says.
3: Hmm. Yeah.
0: I think it, maybe there's just an overall principle of respecting the messenger, you know, um, you know, because I'm thinking about in Hebrews uh, when he talks about uh-huh. you know, um, do not refuse him who is speaking. Hebrews twelve twenty five. Uh, Hebrews thirteen twenty two. Bear with this word of exhortation. You know that the person or the method of God's deliverance, God always chooses a method that can be despised because of the package. Um, I think about in Luke, it's interesting that Luke bookends the beginning, you've got bright, glorious, um, angels, uh, talking to, you know, a small group who then goes and shares that message with, with others and those sharing, it can be easily despised or overlooked in the beginning the shepherds. The shepherds are the people who saw the angels. They go to Mary and Joseph and what they see is it's just a baby. But they believe the message, even though the package was meager and easy to overlook. You know, the angels at the end of Luke, you know, they appear to the women and uh, the women can be easy to overlook. You know, they were easy to disbelieve. But I mean, that didn't change the reality of what God was saying. Right. So I think in Hebrews, same thing in Revelation, you know, uh, obviously in Revelation to the seven churches, that message was not going to come in the form of Jesus appearing in the glory described in chapter one. And I'm speaking directly to the people. It was going to be, uh, you know, somebody who is reading it, and they were going to have to have the faith to be convicted that it was coming from the God being described in the letter.
1: So, is there anything else that you guys see in terms of application here?
2: Uh, the idea, as far as application goes, how about having an appropriate view of what? The Lord's Supper allows us to be able to do. Hmm. We're going to talk about meals, memorial hmm. meals. Take, I mean, so Jesus yeah. makes the yeah. connection. This is the blood of the covenant. He says that when he's establishing the Lord's Supper. Mm. Mm-hmm. That means when you and I are engaging in taking the Lord's Supper, we are, in many ways, recreating this memorial meal, that is agreeing to the covenant.
1: Yeah. We're the so we're the real fulfillment of this shadow.
2: Absolutely. And so when we... I mean, the Lord's Supper is not a light thing. It's not a small thing. Yeah. It's not something... And, and, and I'm going to say this and it'll be even tougher with it. This idea of considering the body rightly is not talking about Jesus' physical body on the cross, but the body that exists in the world that is his church. Right. Yeah. Therefore... When we are when we are eating that meal together with our brethren, it is every bit as serious and somber an experience and should be. And I don't mean just because we were going through torture porn in our head. Yeah. It's not because we are going through the entirety of Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ in our head. What right. we're doing is we are considering the body. We are considering who he has saved. We are agreeing to be together just mm-hmm. like this is the nation agreeing to be under this covenant together. Yeah. So we need yeah. to take that into consideration uh, when we are, are partaking in that memorial meal and how to love one another as is expressed in a law. Yeah. And I mean, that that
0: leads to a deep consideration of the needs of the brethren and you know, understanding the, the value that each person has to God, you know, that, we are all mutually redeemed from a helpless, afflicted, destitute condition. You know, and, and I think that's that's there there are natural signs of a right application of partaking the Lord's Supper if somebody is growing in the qualities that we're reading about in Exodus 23. You yeah. know, love of brethren, intimacy, and humility among the saints should be a natural branch from the roots of what is planted in the partaking of the Lord's supper. Amen. I think like something else too is, is the importance of sound doctrine as it seems to not relate to the immediate context of loving my neighbor. Um, I just, I notice a lot in the world that, um, Certain doctrinal things are not respected in the world generally because they don't seem to have an immediate application to my neighbor. But sound doctrine as it pertains to the church, as it pertains to assembling. I mean, when you look at Exodus 23, threaded in between all of this is not offering the blood of the sacrifice of love and bread. Yep. Well, why? Well, because God said so and because it relates to his character and and will open my eyes to seeing God correctly and my brethren correctly. Why should I not allow the fat of the feast to remain until morning? Well, because it is the Lord God who delivered me out of Egypt. You're going to bring the choice of your first fruits into the house of the Lord, your God. That has everything to do with loving my neighbor. So like, why is it so important when we're thinking about doctrinal things that don't seem to have an immediate connection to loving my neighbor? It's because I need to respect God first as my neighbor. And when I recognize God, as the neighbor that I need to give fairness to with allowing God to define himself, allowing God to completely define his will, allowing him to be King over my life, allowing him to be a father over me, then and only then can I appreciate my neighbor in the right way. And so how I view the brethren, when a church is not practicing sound doctrine, they may be able to have a form of godliness, but the reality is they're denying its power because there is an intimacy of heart. There is a reality of love that is not possible to attain to without fully surrendering to God's will, even when it doesn't seem to relate to my neighbor in its immediate application.
1: And that's, that's going to happen whether the congregation is going beyond the word, at Let me put it this way. Anytime the congregation is going beyond the word, whether they are adding to the law and saying, Mm -hmm. you know, you need to do it my way. It's my way or the highway. Or if they're saying, well, God's grace is going to cover everything. We don't need to worry about this. Let's just go ahead and do it. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think I think it happens in both those cases. Yeah, no, absolutely. because
2: exactly, because he, he demanded certain things throughout the entirety of this. You can't separate yeah. the two things. You can't say,
1: yeah, exactly. oh, sure, I'm going to love my
2: neighbor, but that whole doctrine stuff,
1: eh. Yeah, right. Yep. Well, we really appreciate you uh, listening today, and we hope that uh, it's been useful for you. I know it's been useful for me. And, uh, Jeremy, thanks for being along, man, and thank you, Bryant, as well. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Stephen, for doing this. I sure appreciate it. Yep, definitely. Well, next time, Lord willing, we'll be getting into Exodus 25. Uh, Until then, we hope that you study well and be lights to God's glory. Music used in this program is graciously provided by Symphonia. Symphonia is a non foundation whose purpose is to compose, publish, and promote hymns for congregational worship. Find out more at Symphonia.com.